needed. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Salt Company, how we doing? Great, amazing. Look at you guys, so great. Uh, well, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and flip those open to 1 Kings chapter 19. Good luck finding that book. 1 Kings chapter 19, that's gonna be in the Old Testament. We're continuing our series right now, going through uh, what we're calling Encounters with God, where we're looking at passages in Scripture where God comes to mankind, and we can learn a lot from that. And last week, Pastor Matt, he uh, opened us up with the, uh, Moses and the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, and tonight we're going to be looking at a story of Elijah, a pretty significant moment in his life, and I think it'll really quickly become one of your favorite passages in Scripture. So I'm excited. As you guys are flipping there, I want to tell you guys a story. So about a year ago, um, it was my wife's birthday. Any June birthdays in here? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it was my wife's birthday, and I wanted to be an incredible husband, okay? So I'm like, I'm going to plan the day. It's going to be incredible. And so I schedule everything down to a T. I'm like, all right, at 11 o'clock, we're going to get your nails done, all right? And then we're going to go out to eat. And then later, we're going to go axe throwing with our friends, and it's going to be so fun. And so things are going really great. She's having a ton of fun. I'm enjoying myself as well. It's really great. I'm the best husband ever. And, uh, and then I'm like, hey, um, I'm like, hey, get ready this weekend. Like, pack your bags. We're going to go camping, right? She loves to go tent camping. That's her thing. And so we do that. And, um, and so we drive. We get there. We get to the lot. And we have neighbors, which is fine. Like, I'm cool with neighbors. Um, but like when we, when we pull up, they're like playing really loud music from their car. Like, you know, the kind of neighbor I'm talking about. And I'm like, oh man, you know, like I, I don't want to say something, but I want to say something, but I don't say anything. Okay. So I don't say anything to them. Cause it's like in the middle of the day, I'm like, whatever, they'll probably turn it off at night or something. I don't know. And, um, and so anyway, uh, they end up leaving and then Anna and I finally have some peace and quiet to ourselves. It's great. You know, we're like building a fire, roasting hot dogs, you know, all the camp things. And so we get close to the end of the night and we're about to go to sleep. Our eyes start to shut and then um, our neighbors come back. You can hear their car coming up, right? The whole tent is lit up by their lights and we're like, all right, they're here, great. Uh, And the show begins. So they open up their car and like their dog just starts bolting off in another direction. And now they're freaking out because the dog is, chasing after the raccoons who were eating the food that they left on the picnic table. That's like rule number one of camping. Don't leave your food on the picnic table. So they're freaking out because their dog is running around and trying to chase a raccoon. And they're like, Pete, 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 get over here, you know, whatever. And it's like close to midnight at this point. And the, you know, the, the, the a tent is, man, it's like paper thin. And so you can hear everything. And so they're like screaming and everything. And this, and this goes on for a while. And eventually when they are able to get their dog, um, now they're just angry at each other. And so they're fighting and they're like swearing at each other. And it's this whole situation at like one in the morning. And I just kind of look over at Anna and I'm like, ha happy birthday, you know, <laughs> great, sweet, sorry. Um, so, Everything was going great until we got to the campground, right? Things were great until they weren't. And why do I share that story? Because I think that many of us have stories or will have stories where life goes well and then suddenly it doesn't. So something really difficult comes up that brings you to a low point. Maybe it's the stress at the end of the school year, right? You got final exams, projects, that whole deal happening right now and you're stressing out. Or maybe it's the fear that comes with a scary diagnosis. What do you do? when you get to that low point? 
where do you go when you hit rock bottom? See, in tonight's passage, we're gonna see Elijah. He's gonna get to this really low point. He's gonna be at the end of his rope. He's gonna be hopeless, and we're gonna see that, and we're gonna see where he goes when that happens. Maybe you're there tonight, and you're at that low point. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from this passage as we look at the life of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. So if you're not already there yet, 1 Kings 19, I wanna set up the context just a little bit, okay? So up to this point, things are going great for Elijah and his walk with the Lord. Like, Elijah is God's man, right? So literally the chapter right before in chapter 18, there's kind of like this battle of the gods that happens where essentially what happens is Elijah, he goes in front of all these uh, false prophets of, of false gods. And he says, hey, we're gonna have a battle of the gods. You guys in? They're like, yes. He says, hey, here's the rules. Here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna, you know, you guys do a little sacrifice for Baal, uh, which was the name of their God. And then I'll do a sacrifice. We're gonna cry out to our gods. And if whoever, whichever God consumes that sacrifice with fire, that's the one true God. And the Baal prophets are like, all right. We're in. And so long story short, Baal doesn't answer because he doesn't exist. And God does, right? The God of the Bible does. He consumes these sacrifices and it's this incredible moment. Like, man, you could say that Elijah was probably on this, man, this mountaintop with the Lord. You can maybe even call it a spiritual high and then something changes for him. Listen, starting in chapter 19, verse one. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he, he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. So if you're taking notes, the first point is this, hitting rock bottom. So word about all that had happened at this, at this battle gets to Queen Jezebel, who was the queen of Israel at that time. She worshiped Baal, and so she's furious. Her prophets have been embarrassed. She's furious, and so she wants Elijah to be captured and killed effective immediately. And you can imagine how Elijah feels, right? Like imagine for a moment that the most powerful authority in all the land is coming after you, right? You'd probably be terrified. And that's where Elijah is in this moment. So hearing this news, he runs as fast as he can away from Jezebel. He really runs until he gets, to the, gets into the wilderness and then he finds a tree with some good shade and he just collapses. And he hopes that nobody will find him. Weary and terrified, Elijah, he utters these words to God. I'll read them again, verse four. I've had enough. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So Elijah has come to the end of himself, literally right after he was on the mountaintop with God. It's almost like he was thrown down to rock bottom. He's at the lowest, he's at his lowest low right after experiencing perhaps his highest high in his relationship with God. And I wonder if any of you have that story. 
when things are going really well in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you went to a conference and it was awesome, or maybe in your connection group, you've been growing a lot and then something happens to you. See, clearly Elijah is rattled by Jezebel's death threat. He cries out to the Lord to take his life because after all of his work, after all of his faithful service to God, I mean, he's, he's spent his life like pleading with the Israelites to stop worshiping Baal and come worship the one true God. And after all of that, it seemed like his, his work was fruitless. And so he literally says, God, I'm done. Like I've done everything that I can. I've done everything you told me to do and still nothing is working. I'm done. This is such a waste. Why would I even bother? Maybe some of you can resonate with Elijah because maybe you're burnt out and you're ready to quit. Whether it's with school or with work, with responsibilities or bad news that you've gotten, you're burnt out, you're ready to quit. With Elijah, you might be saying, God, I can't go on. I'm done. So shockingly in our passage, Elijah cries out for God to end his life. It's kind of really big thing here. And how does God respond? Listen, starting in verse five. Verse five, it says, then Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. And he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned to him for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So looking down from heaven, God sees his prophet, his guy, right? Somebody who, you know, you would assume would be fearless, somebody who really has it together. He looks down at this servant that he has chosen, his prophet, and what does he see? He sees Elijah crying, shouting, and he's whining, but how does God respond? Does he respond with frustration? Like, man, I should have never chosen this guy, right? Like, man, you can't handle this. Let's get somebody else here. No. See, he, as the angel of the Lord comes and joins Elijah in the pit, giving him freshly baked bread to eat, cold water to drink. In other words, he nourishes his body and allows him to rest. That's his first response. God's response to Elijah's desperate cries is compassion, it's patience. And there's something here I hope you guys don't miss, that no matter how strong somebody seems, how on fire for Jesus they may seem, everybody has a breaking point. Every person has a breaking point. Man, Elijah, he literally stood before hundreds of people and said, stop worshiping Baal. Worship God. He's calling hundreds of people in front of them to repent. You think this guy is fearless. And here he is in fear, falling apart. We all hit a breaking point, but where do you go when you're there? Where do you go when you're at rock bottom? Well, you go where Elijah did. You go where Elijah did. You go to God and you hold nothing back just like he did. You bring to God your ugly prayers. You bring God your complete honesty. But if we're honest, that's hard for us. It doesn't feel right. 
Like, shouldn't we have it all together? Like, man, we're people of faith, right? So was Elijah. And I wonder if we're scared to be completely honest with God at our lowest point because we fear that he's gonna respond to us the same way that others have. Maybe he'll dismiss us, right? Like, oh, that, you'll be fine. Or maybe he'll shame us. Like, really, you're crying about that? Like, it's not even that bad. Or maybe he'll be frustrated. Like, oh, this again? Come on, you're not over this already? We fear that he'll respond to us the way that others may have, but God's word proves the opposite. See, he can handle your ugly and honest thoughts when no one else can. So when everything falls apart, go to God and hold nothing back because just like in this story, God wants to hear it. But the story doesn't end there. It continues. Elijah ends up going on this journey. He goes to a place where he knows he'll find Healing, point number two is this, retreating to the mountain. So listen, starting in verse eight. So uh, he got up, ate and drank, and then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So if you remember from last week, right, the mountain of God, that's, that's kind of a significant place because where did God meet Moses in the burning bush? at that same place, the mountain of God. So you know what Elijah's probably thinking on this journey to this mountain? He's probably thinking, man, I need to go be with God. And so he travels up this mountain and then this passage, it says this, verse nine, says he gets to this mountain, it says he entered a cave there and spent the night. So Elijah was already isolated from others by being in the wilderness and then he makes himself even more isolated by going into a cave away from all distraction. And it's in this place where he hears the voice of God. Look with me at the rest of verse nine. He entered a cave there and spent the night and suddenly the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, in order for Elijah to hear God's voice, he had to get away from the distractions and be alone with God in the quiet place in a place free from distraction, a place that allowed him to focus on simply being with God. And what does God say? God simply asks him a question. Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah, he replies by unloading all of his frustrations. Listen to verse 10. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. In other words, he says, hey, I've been faithful when nobody else has been, God, just in case you haven't seen. Um, and if they kill me, God, you're out of luck in Israel, right? Because don't you need me? So you know how God responds to his frustrations? Verse 11 says this. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. God's response to Elijah's despair was to bring him into his presence. That was his response, to bring him into his presence. And then God's presence shows up to Elijah in a way that he probably would have never thought. Verse 11 says this, at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. 
after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You can imagine as all of this, all of this is going down, Elijah's probably confused because up until this moment, he's been trained to believe and to, and to think that God always shows up in fire, right? Literally, probably a day ago for him, God shows up in fire by consuming the sacrifice and embarrassing uh, uh, the, the false prophets. And then he's probably also thinking about when, when God showed up to Moses in the burning bush where God's presence was symbolized by fire, but it wasn't happening this time. It says the Lord was not in the fire. He showed up in a way he would not have expected. Not in the loud and the chaotic and the crazy, but in the quiet. Says he showed up in a soft whisper, or some of your translations might say still small voice. See, this phrase is used only three times in scripture. In this passage, in the book of Job, and the book of Psalms. And in all three uses of this phrase, of a soft whisper, it is used in the context of rest and refreshment in the midst of pain, distress, and fear. So what does this mean? Like what's happening here? This still small voice, this soft whisper. You see, God is refreshing and restoring Elijah's weary soul. He's lifting Elijah's soul from rock bottom by speaking to him in the quietness of a whisper. You see, when Elijah was at his lowest point, he, spe- he set out to spend ample time in God's presence. He went alone to be with the Lord at his lowest moment. And the result was that God refreshed him. Is that something that you want? Maybe you're here and you're at a low point. Maybe you're anxious or you're struggling or you name it. You know your story. And like Elijah, you need to retreat from the chaos. Go to be alone and meet with the Lord. To spend time with him, Bible open, asking him to speak to your heart as you read. It's there in the silence where God seems to speak the loudest. A couple months ago, um, I was having a bunch of just kind of random health problems that were kind of alarming to me. And so I decided to go to the doctor and had to order a series of tests that were really, really scary. And I didn't know what was going on. I knew that something was up and I needed to go to the doctor. And so um, I don't know what to think, but I'm just terrified. I don't know what to do, but I know where to go. So I go... (laughs) In my house, I find a place that's free from distraction and I go to meet with the Lord. I just sit in his presence, Bible open, saying, God, would you meet me here? And in the chaos of all the fear of not knowing, you know, waiting for test results and seeing if everything's gonna be okay, I remember the Lord impressing on my heart. In the midst of my chaos and fear, Joe, I love you and I'm with you. And I began to recall passages in scripture that were affirmed, like, man, God does love me and he's here with me, right? Isaiah, maybe Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Being in God's presence at my lowest point was the best place for me to be. One pastor said it this way, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we most need. 
So maybe it's 10 minutes a day, maybe it's 30, but you just let God have you all to himself. Bible open, ready to hear from him as you read. Because it's in that place where God will begin to lift you from the lowest pit. So are you struggling? Are you overwhelmed? God says, come to me. Come to me. So in our passage, we read that God comes to Elijah in the quietness of a soft whisper, but what is he saying, right? Like, what is that soft whisper? What is he saying? What was God able to say to Elijah once he finally had him all to himself? Point three is this, seeing a brighter future. Have you guys ever had, um, man, you've had a bad day and someone just says something that makes it worse, right? Um, Back when, when I was in college, I had uh, just a huge, embarrassing black eye. Anybody have that before? You're like, please, nobody look at me, right? Really embarrassing. Anyway, so I go into the cafeteria, you know, I get my lunch, and it takes all the courage in me to just, like, walk in there, right? And I'm like, don't look at me, don't look at me. And this guy that I, like, sort of know, but he's, like, really outgoing, so he's the kind of guy that if he sees you, he's like, hey, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe your friend's like that. Maybe you're like that, okay? God bless you, all right? Um, so... Anyway, so I walk in there and, um, you know, I got my this fresh black eye and he comes up to me. He's like, oh, dude, what happened? He's like, oh, you know, you look like you're wearing mascara. I'm like, thanks, bro. <laughs> it's great. Really encouraging. And I like barely knew this guy. Um, right. But I think we've all kind of had moments where maybe it's not with a black eye. I hope not. But Maybe you've had moments like that where you're not having a good day and someone says the wrong thing to you, right? But I think also on the flip side, we've had times when maybe it's a friend or a mentor or a connection group leader when someone has said something and when you're at a low point that has lifted you up and encouraged you. It was exactly what you needed to hear. See, now that God has Elijah's attention in the quiet place, God speaks to Elijah and encourages him. What does he say? See, it can kind of be summed up this way. God gives him two things. He gives them a task and a truth. He gives them a task and a truth. A task to help him see a brighter future and a truth he desperately needed to hear. Listen, starting in verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. See, now that God has Elijah alone, he was able to speak pretty clearly to him. God gives him a task. He says, go. He says, go back to the place that you actually just escaped from because I have more work for you to do. In other words, here's what he's saying. He looks at Elijah at his, at his low point and he says this. Listen, I know you think it's all over. I know you can't imagine a brighter future. I know that you think that everything is done and it's all over. But look up because I'm not done with you yet. Have you ever made a mistake, maybe at work or at school, and you're like, man, I'm gonna get fired or like, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna be in trouble, right? Have you been there? Maybe you've been there. 
And then your boss or maybe your teacher comes up and is like, hey, listen, like, don't beat yourself up, right? Like, I'm not gonna give up on you. And a similar thing is happening here. God looks at Elijah and says, get up and go. I still have work to do in Israel and I want you to be a part of it. I'm not done with you. Maybe that's what some of you guys need to hear. You might be at the end of your rope. And being stuck at rock bottom has made it really hard for you to imagine that there's a brighter future. And perhaps God looks down at you and says, hey, I have more work to do in this city. I have more work to do in your workplace. I have more work to do in your class, in your home. And I want you to be a part of it. I'm not done with you yet. And then God gives Elijah a truth. So that's his task, but he gives him a truth something he desperately needs to hear. Do you guys remember when Elijah essentially said to God, hey, you need me, right? Like I'm the only person who's been faithful, nobody else is, and man, you better take care of me because if you lose me, your work in Israel's done, right? God's response to him was this truth. He essentially says this, Elijah, this is so much bigger than you. I have others that I will use to accomplish my purpose, not just you. Oh, and also, I have 7,000 Israelites who have been faithful to me. See, in the process of serving God, Elijah's pride began to grow. And as he was serving and he was and being faithful to God, he, he was seeing God do incredible things through him, and he began to believe the lie that he was irreplaceable to God's purposes man, that God really needed him, right? Like, man, if Elijah's out of commission, then sorry, God, like, don't know what you're gonna do in Israel. He began to believe the lie that he was irreplaceable. He couldn't imagine a bright future for God's work in that city without him. So when things started to look like they were going downhill, Elijah grew hopeless. And God looks at Elijah and says, listen, be encouraged, it's not all up to you. I'm at work in this city in ways that you'll never understand. My plan involves more than just you. So maybe you're burnt out because you're trying to do everything. But God looks at you tonight and is saying, child, it's not up to you. (laughs) There are many other people in this place that I'm gonna use. It's not all up to you. My plan is much greater and much bigger than you. This truth only came to Elijah when he was quiet enough to listen. That's when. Man, I wonder if God had been trying to get through to Elijah for a while, but he wouldn't be quiet enough to just listen and sit and be with the Lord for him to hear from him in the first place. He's so busy doing things for God that he forgot that he needed to be with him. And so God allows him to go to rock bottom so that he can get his attention and say, hey, listen, I've been trying to tell you this for so long. Gives him a task and a truth. And begins to lift him from the lowest point. So friend here, maybe, maybe you're at rock bottom. Like Elijah, go to God. Distractions gone, Bible open, and spend time with him. Because often the task that God has for you and the truth he wants to speak to you come most clearly to you when you're alone with him. So I recognize that when I speak in this room that there are uh, friends here who would say, man, I don't know if I would call myself a Christian, but you're struggling, right? 
you're struggling and you're like, man, what do I do? Where do I go? Maybe, maybe you're struggling and, and you, know, you have friends who know this. They know that you're in a, in a time where you're suffering. But if you were to be honest, you're like, man, I feel alone. And I don't know what to do. So what do you do? You look to the one who suffered all alone so that you never have to. Jesus himself hit his lowest point alone in the garden. He says, God, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I don't want to die like this, but not my will, your will be done. And he felt the sting of that prayer going unanswered as he was nailed to a cross of wood. He saw his closest friends abandon him. He was all alone and alone on the cross. He cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, he faced the fury of God's wrath for your sins in your place and during a despair you never will have to know. So that by rising three days later, he can promise anybody who places their faith in him, he promises that he'll give you God's presence forever. In other words, once you place your faith in Jesus and his suffering, you will never have to be alone in yours. So for those who have already had the joy of making that decision to follow Jesus, I wanna end with this question. Elijah at his lowest point, he went to be alone with God. And that is where he was lifted from that place. Where do you go? Where are you gonna run? So friends, would tonight be the beginning of a regular pattern of coming to meet with God when you're suffering and even when you're not? And even as we enter worship tonight, I encourage you that your cry, whether from rock bottom or maybe you're doing just fine in life, that as we worship, that your cry would be, God, I just want you. I just want more of you. Would that be our prayer? Let me pray. God, that's our prayer. We, we just want you. God, I love this passage because it tells us so much about us and it tells us so much about you. It shows us that, God, we are, we all, we all have a breaking point. And some of us are there right now. And if we're to be honest, we would say things similar to Elijah. Man, I'm done, I quit, I'm burnt out, I'm, I, I don't wanna do this anymore. God, I pray that tonight that, that the souls here would, would be able to say, man, I wanna just be honest with you, Lord, and say, man, things have been really hard because God, you can handle that and you invite us to share that, but you also invite us to be in your presence for it is only there alone that our souls can be lifted from rock bottom. And so God, I pray that for those who have never placed their faith in your son, Jesus, I pray that tonight that they would trust in his suffering on the cross on their behalf so that they never have to suffer alone. God, the cry of our hearts is we want more of you. And so God, just like how you met Elijah, would you meet us tonight? Pray this in your name, amen.